Just exercise and eat better. Sounds simple enough, but what if you don't have access to fresh, unprocessed food? How are you supposed to eat healthy when the only options available to you are high in sodium or sugar? Food is medicine, just like how we need to give medications to our patients to keep our blood pressure and diabetes under control. It's also important for our patients to stay healthy. And for that, we need to provide them with resources for healthy food. That's advanced nurse practitioner Anitha Phillip. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. Anitha, what made you pursue a career in kidney health? I have been a nurse for the past 25 years. Out of the 25 years, I've been an advanced nurse practitioner for 15 years. Now, I have been practicing in the field of nephrology or treating or caring for patients with kidney disease for almost nine years. Wow. Yes. Kidney disease has always been very fascinating. It's a very complex disease. It affects multi-organs in our system. And also, a lot of the chronic illnesses that we see and treat, for example, diabetes, high blood pressure, it can lead into kidney disease. That was very fascinating to me, and that was one of the reasons why I got into nephrology or in the field of nephrology. And I am passionate about my career and the patients that I treat and I care for, and I love it. Well, let's talk about some of your patients. Who is most at risk for developing kidney disease? There are many risk factors for kidney disease. One being is diabetes. That's the leading cause of kidney disease. Second is the hypertension. And anyone with a family history of diabetes and hypertension and also history of heart disease and anyone over the age of 60 are also at risk of kidney disease. Patients with history of autoimmune disease, such as lupus and diseases that have been inherited from the family, such as polycystic kidney disease, and also persons of ethnicity, such as African Americans, Native Americans, Hispanic, and Asian Pacific, are at greater risk of kidney disease. And also patients who have a habit of eating unhealthy, if they follow an unhealthy diet, who are obese, they're all at risk of kidney disease. And social determinants of health also play an important part of kidney disease as well. Patients with low income, we talked about ethnicity, health literacy, and also food insecurity also would put one at risk for kidney disease. So that's a humongous portion of the population. All types of people fall into a bunch of those different categories. So why do you think kidney care is is not maybe at the top of a lot of people's priority list? Great question. So um, I actually currently work at Kokani Health. Um, there we serve patients. Um, our, the mission of our hospital is to serve anyone. It could be anyone without insurance, someone who cannot afford health care. We take everyone. So uh, some of the things that I have noticed um, in the past nine years that I've been in the, in the nephrology area is that there are patients, they come in, um, health is not their top priority. 
uh, for example, they come in, they struggle uh, because of the fact that they don't have healthy food. Um, they just eat whatever that's there for them. Uh, some patients live with some of their family members or friends or whatever that's there or available to them by their friends is what they get to eat. So um, those patients struggle because of some social determinants of health. Uh, it could be just income coming in. It could be the fact that they're not able to afford food. So health is really not their top priority and caring for their kidney disease is not really the top priority. So how do you get to this patients? I mean, how do you help those patients? And I came to know through a, a little study that I did in my department, in my division, that there are some patients who are struggling to get healthy food. And that was one of the reasons why they couldn't eat healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's unpack some of this. You you used the phrase social determinants of health. What does that mean in layman's terms for someone who maybe has never heard that phrase before? Social determinants of health, it could be the fact that there are some patients that they don't have access to health because they are uninsured. For example, we talked about unhealthy food habits, correct? They eat whatever that's there, whatever that's available to them. So it could be canned food, something like that, that they found from somewhere or someone had given it to them. If that's all that's there, that is all that they're going to eat. And they don't care the amount of salt or the sodium that's in that content, or if it's unhealthy for them, they're going to eat what's there. So one of the social determinants of health is food insecurity. The access to finding healthy food is not there. The other one is the fact health literacy. Some patients have a hard time understanding what is kidney disease. How do we break that down to them? Because like you said, kidney disease is a complex disease. A lot of my patients that I see is that some are high school graduates, some are not. Some have only gone up to eighth grade. How do you sit with the patient and just explain to them about what is kidney disease? How do you break down the complexity of the disease? Those are some of the things that's very important for a provider or a physician to just find out. Those are the barriers. That's, the so that's called the social determinants of health. Uh, some patients don't get enough income. They have transportation issues. Again, that's another social determinant of health. But for this particular study that I did, I focused specifically on food insecurity. What did you find out in your research? Who's most affected by food insecurity? So I did a quality improvement study. So in that study, I had about 18 patients who willingly participated in the study. Most of the patients that participated in the study were Black Americans and Hispanic population. So the number one question is that, have you ever thought or have you ever experienced that you ran out of food? Mm -hmm. Number two is that, have you ever felt like that you're running out of food too quickly, therefore you're not able to buy more food? So if they answer yes to any one of these two questions, then it's automatically, it's considered as food insecure. Out of the 18 patients, 90% of them 
they screened positive for food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I did the study during COVID pandemic, and there were a lot of patients. They lost their jobs. They were in a bad situation. So when I actually asked the question, they appreciated that because they felt like, oh, I don't think I was ever asked this question, but thank you. Yes, you know, I do have this issue. So then I was able to provide them with the food vouchers because the Chicago Food Depository, they're in partnership with Kukani Health. Kukani Health goes fresh truck and it's a mobile resource. They deliver fresh produce to Kukani Health patients and patients can certainly go and look this up if they go to cookcountyhealth.org, all they need to do is click on patients and family resources and click on food insecurity and all this information will pop up. That's wonderful because as you were talking about earlier, your patient who said, yeah, that all sounds great, but I can't afford those things. Because I imagine if you're relying on food pantries or friends and family to provide for you, you don't really get as much of a say in what sorts of foods are available to you. And a lot of food pantry items are shelf-stable, canned, processed foods that are probably very high in sodium and other things. Talk to me a little bit about that, how food insecurity and CKD, chronic kidney disease, go hand in hand, what that connection is. The number one cause or the leading cause of chronic kidney disease is diabetes. Number two is hypertension. These two chronic illnesses, unfortunately, it's very common among most of the patients that I see in the clinic. For both of these chronic illnesses, lifestyle modification is extremely helpful. So not only taking medication is important, it's what you put in your mouth is so important. In addition to that, exercising. I tell my patients, you know, I, when I tell you to exercise, it doesn't mean that I want you to just go and just be on the treadmill or run for like 30 minutes to one hour. It could be just taking a walk for like a good 30 minutes of walk is considered a good exercise. Of course, that's different for one patient to another patient. If someone has a history of congestive heart failure, they may not be able to walk for 30 minutes. They can only walk for maybe 10 to 15 minutes, depending upon the patient. Do whatever that you're able to do. So again, going back to the lifestyle modification and eating healthy, it's very important for patients to know what is it that they need to put in their plate. So if you have a healthy plate, what does it consist of? So it consists of like several food groups. It has to have a little bit of carbs, proteins, vegetables, fruits. Some dairy as well. Like I said in the earlier message, CKD or chronic kidney disease, it's a very complex disease. There are some patients, they'll need to restrict some potassium in their diet. They may need to restrict some phosphorus in their diet. This is where they need to work with the healthcare team. Not only me, the advanced nurse practitioner, and also the physicians, also the dietitian to see what is it exactly that they need to put in their plate. So if someone with the history of hypertension, it's very important that they do need to adhere to the required amount of salt or sodium in their diet. For patients with history of CKD, the guideline says that they can have up to 2,000 milligrams of sodium 
which really it's equivalent to one teaspoon of salt. So wow. yes, I know a lot of my patients are just surprised when they do hear that in my education class, because I do mention that. But remember though, some of the foods that they eat, it already has a lot of salt. So this is in addition to that, that you're, you're consuming that much of salt in your diet when you're cooking. This is why it's extremely important. So what happens is when you have hypertension and you consume more than that enough amount of salt, what happens is that you are going to accumulate or retain fluid and that's going to increase your blood pressure. So when the blood pressure is high, what's going to happen to your kidney disease, right? There are different stages of kidney disease. Our goal, when, when the patients come to see us in our clinic, our goal is to make sure that your kidney disease doesn't get worse. We want to delay the progression because our goal is to delay dialysis. You see how the high blood pressure and the food insecurity, there is a tie there because if you don't watch the salt, and if you're not really getting the right, the healthy food, how are these patients going to able to access that? There you go. There is a barrier. So it's like a chain reaction that all kind of stems from that access to healthy foods. I love that your team is helping provide that access and not just sort of shrugging and saying, well, figure it out. If that barrier is in place, then how are they ever going to go beyond it without a little assistance, a little boost. Cool. So you mentioned the education classes that you provide in addition to the vouchers for the fresh trucks. What benefit does that education have? You obviously are providing access to healthier foods, but why the education component with it? Knowledge is power. If I do this, this is going to make me healthy. This is going to get me better. And I look at that as more of a medicine. Education is medicine for me. Food is also medicine for me. And I'm combining education and food together for my patient's health. Because the patient also has to be very motivated. Because I can give all the education that I want. But how do I make sure that I have my patients motivated? Because when I have my patients in the clinic, I want to make sure that I have my patients 100% attention because my goal is to making sure that my patient's health gets better and that patient remains healthy. I can tell you, Sarah, it has taken me two, three, four, five, sometimes 10 visits before that patient can actually go ahead and just proceed with my instructions because it takes a while for that patient to trust you as a provider. And how do you make sure you have earned that patient's trust? Because I have to give my 110% time to my patients because my patient will have to know I am that there for that patient. So knowledge is power, but you have to allow the patient to make a decision. And as a provider, as a physician, it is our responsibility to invite our patients and to be engaged with that patient. Number two, food is medicine. Just like how we need to give medications to our patients to keep our blood pressure and diabetes under control, it's also important for our patients to stay healthy. And for that, we need to provide them with resources, 
healthy food. So combining education and food, it's so important because I consider that as also medicine. So it sounds like you're empowering your patients too. You're not just saying, here's your instructions, go follow them, don't ask any questions. You're empowering them to make these decisions on their own and giving them the information they need in order to make an informed decision. That's correct. We are there as a resource. I am their provider. I am there as a resource for them. I am I'm also there to provide them with the patient-centered care because each of my patients is different. How I approach patient A is not going to be the same as how I approach patient B. So this is where, as a provider, I need to find out how my patient B is different than patient A. And that is where that I need to engage with that patient to see how I can help that patient. And this is a great example. Like one patient had given me that quote, how am I supposed to eat healthy? If you know that I already don't have access to food, you tell me, you help me. And that is what prompted me to do this quality improvement study, that patient's one quote. What improvements have you seen as a result of this study? Once they come and attend the class, they are able to realize how much of power that they have on their disease because they are in control of their disease and they're able to obtain that through the class. And I have seen the difference in many patients and I have some patients calling me and telling me, hey, because of you, you know, for the past six months, I've had some trouble controlling my blood pressure. I've changed my diet, you know, I, I'm able to eat healthy now. I lost a few pounds and I was able to see a difference in my blood pressure. That is when I know I made a difference in my patients. You mentioned earlier trying to slow the progression and prevent patients from ending up on dialysis. What happens if someone is in renal failure? Because we know a lot of times people don't find out they have kidney disease until they're in those later stages. What happens if they end up with renal failure and need that life-saving dialysis treatment, but maybe their housing is insecure, they're staying on a friend's couch, or they're living in a shelter? How do unhoused people access that treatment? This is where there's a multidisciplinary approach, where it's not just me helping the patient. It's when we talked about the dietitian and the role of a social worker, right? They all be all come together as a team. It's a coordinated effort. And at the end, we want to make sure the patient is happy, healthy, and receiving the dialysis treatment. Do you think that in the future, we'll see this sort of approach happening in medical centers more commonly? Obviously, it's happening in Cook County Health right now, but do you think we'll see it in doctor's offices and hospitals across the board in the future? I hope so. I know that in our division, we have that multidisciplinary team effort and I have seen a huge improvement. I was even able to see that in my study. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to do all this without a team approach from the dietitian and my department chair and my whole physicians, uh, the nephrologists that I work with. It's a team effort. And I think it would also be good if we have the team team approach in, in the offices. And I'm pretty sure it's coming. I know in the hospital-based patient care, there's definitely that multidisciplinary team approach, but I know in the future it's coming even in the, in the offices. I hope so. That sounds like a more holistic way to care for patients. 
I'm really encouraged by your work. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? A lot of times that patients do not know they have this disease. They have no symptoms whatsoever. And that's the scariest thing about kidney disease. But I wanted to encourage my patients or anyone listening, if you have a family member with a history of diabetes or high blood pressure, or you have history of diabetes or high blood pressure, my advice is please go and visit your doctor and get tested. It's just a simple blood test and a urine test. And in that way, we know, like I said, there are different stages of kidney disease. So the earlier we find out you have kidney disease, the earlier we can treat you and prevent the complications from kidney disease because we want to delay the progression and delay the dialysis. So that's our goal. And lifestyle modification is so important. Eating healthy, exercising, could be just walking like 20 to 30 minutes a day. If you are following a nephrologist in our clinic, you can always be referred to a dietitian. You can inform the physician or a provider to please refer you to a dietitian so you can have a one-on-one consultation with the dietitian about your diet. And again, if you're interested in attending the kidney health class, you can always call 312-864-6000 and they can connect you to the nephrology department and they can schedule you. But right now the classes are offered for patients who see us in the clinic. But if you're really interested and you want to learn about the kidney disease, I'm pretty sure that, you know, patients are allowed and family members are allowed to come in and attend the class. Thank you so much, Anitha, for all of your work you've done. And I am so impressed and appreciative of you listening to your patients, hearing that need, and then taking action to find a way to fill that gap. I thank you for your hard work and everything you've shared with me and our audience today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I truly enjoyed my time doing this podcast, and and I hope my patients will learn from this podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. One in 12 people in Illinois struggles with food insecurity daily. If you're struggling, check out cookcountyhealth.org and learn more about kidney disease at our website at nkfi.org. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention is a key part of our mission at NKFI. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health or nutrition tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about weight management. People live in bodies of all shapes and sizes. While body mass index, a measurement of your weight to your height, and ideal body weight ranges may or may not be appropriate for you. They are used as a guide to know if you are at risk for developing a chronic health condition. Many people may think weight management is about being on an overly restrictive diet that includes intensive exercising. This actually sets people up for failure and is a large reason why diets don't lead to maintained success. What weight management is about is learning how to make healthy food choices at home and when dining out. It's about learning how to identify when you're hungry or if you're eating for emotional reasons. It's about finding physical activity that allows you to move through a range of motion, strengthens your muscles and gets your heart pumping. And it's about making choices that will help you maintain your weight or allow you to gradually reduce your weight. It may seem easy to go it alone, but research shows that those who find support and professional guidance are most successful. 
Here are some tips from people who have had success with weight maintenance. Exercise is important and build up to 200 to 300 minutes per week. This is the equivalent of 30 to 40 minutes a day of activity. Stay hydrated, drink lots of water, and limit sugar-sweetened beverages. Eat whole, nutritious foods and focus on foods that are high in fiber. Eat responsibly and mindfully. Pay attention to when you're hungry and when you're full. Plan your meals ahead of time. This allows you to stay on track and make helpful choices. Find fun recipes online or in cookbooks to expand your meal variety. Decrease your screen time and do not eat while distracted. Monitor yourself by keeping a food log, measurements, or weighing in once a week. Join a weight management program for education and support. Build your own support group with family and friends. Keep a positive attitude and believe in yourself and your abilities. Think for the long term. The habits you are creating should be long-sustaining and not quick fix. And make those changes gradual so that you can stick with them over time. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.